As usual, I asked our guest Dave Kluge to pound the table for some of this offseason. Dave, who you pounded the table for? Deontay Johnson. I cannot understand why this guy is getting drafted in the fifth round of fantasy football leagues this year. This guy, if you look at a per-game basis last year, he was essentially a wide receiver one. He had one game that he missed completely. He had two other games that he left in the first quarter with an injury. But if you look at the games that he was fully healthy, he was averaging over 12 targets per game and almost 19 points per game. We know that this guy is going to get peppered with targets. Uh, assuming he's healthy this year, he could easily see 150-plus targets. And I get it. You know, there's some trepidation right now because Chase Claypool is everybody's favorite sleeper, and he can certainly assess up the ranks on that Pittsburgh Steelers team. But when I look at Deontay Johnson, I see a guy that is almost guaranteed to finish as a wide receiver one right now and can be had in the fifth round. Last year, 50% of the top 10 uh, wide receivers came in round five or later. And that's a trend that we see almost every single year where you can get these studs late in the draft. And Deontay Johnson right now is the guy that I cannot get enough of. Uh, I have drafted him in the last three drafts that I've done. I've got another draft this evening and I will assuredly be reaching for him because I love the floor and the ceiling that you can get with a guy like that. Excellent. A young, talented receiver who's going to get targets. Hard to argue with that. Everyone, go get Kluge to follow Dave's advice. Get you some Deontay Johnson. Now let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the most accurate podcast. I am your humble host, Brandon Niles. My co-host today is the coolest writer I know, Jen Akins. Jen, what's up? Hi, everybody. Um, not much is up. You know, the huge. Uh, trying, to, trying to get in as many underdog drafts as I can. We're getting down to the wire here. We got the last couple of weeks. Uh, so I've been pounding all those puppy threes and, and some of the regular ones. Um, and if you guys out there have not taken advantage of Underdog yet and have not signed up, you can still get in, even though we're close to the end. Uh, with 4 for 4, if you, uh, if you go to Underdog and you deposit just 10 bucks, they will give you 25 immediately to play with, and you get a free 4 for 4 subscription. Not a better deal out there. That's right. Just use that promo code 4FOR4. Thanks, Jen. As I mentioned, we're pumped to have Dave Kluge here on the show today. I'm going to be honest with you, Dave. I'm exhausted from writing your intro, uh, but but let's do this. We're going to try this. First and foremost, follow Dave on Twitter at Dave Kluge, K-L-U-G-E. Check out everything he does over at Football Guys and Fantasy Pros. He wrote a great article end of July, which we're going to talk about a little later. Um, I would call it a very measured settle down on DK Metcalf, which I enjoyed. Definitely check that out. Uh, also, also, Dave does interviews and appearances. He's super gracious with his time. You could do yourself a favor. Check out Dave Kluge underscore FF on YouTube. He has multiple shows, tons of great interviews, some of the best people in the industry. Uh, Dave, I just saw your episode of the Launchpad with Scott Hansen, which I highly recommend to everyone. You've talked with Matt Harmon, Matthew Barry, our very own Chris Allen, a whole slew of other analysts who I look up to in the industry. Uh, Dave, again, tired just from looking at how busy you are. So I'm sure <laughs> I missed about a million things you do, but I want to thank you for coming on today to talk NFC West. How you doing? I am doing fantastic. And yeah, you know, I, I never really thought that I was going to get into the podcasting, live stream, video show side of the business. I'd been writing for a few years and then I got on Twitter a little over a year ago. And that's when somebody invited me on the first show that I ever did, which believe it or not, was less than a year ago. And I will be uh, celebrating that as them, you know, uh, it's these two great guys, Eli and Mike. They reached out to me, asked me to guest on their show, and I just fell in love with it. So uh, in two weeks, I'm having them on the launch pad, kind of flipping the tables and bringing them on as my guests. But uh, yeah, I've done 403 shows in the last year. So <laughs> I have been staying very, very, very busy. 
That's amazing. You're everywhere. I I gotta I gotta start this off. We are gonna get to NFC West. I have a couple questions. I gotta start this off. Uh, I've heard hashtag Klugied. I've heard being Klugied, and I I gotta ask what it is because I I gotta tell you it's it could go either way. It seems like it could be like the Terminator does some terminating, or it could be something completely different. So what exactly does it mean to be Klugied? I wish I knew. I, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> honestly, Brandon, it, it just kind of stuck. Um, I, I don't know if you know the the Open Bar podcast, but these guys, they do a great job. It's a two-hour show where they recommend that you show up with a few drinks, and it is late in the evening, and you just talk. There's no show sheet. You just talk for two hours. And we got on the conversation of my last name and the pronunciation. Uh, like you said, it's spelled K-L-U-G-E, so everybody thinks Kluge, and that's what I get all the time. Hey, Dave Kluge is on the show, and we started talking about that and figured out that you know maybe if we found a way to phonetically get it out there in twitter people would start saying my name correctly so they <laughs> spelt out klugi k-l-o-o-g-i and then we started discussing that it can be used as a verb and an adjective and all these different things and somehow klugied has just stuck so it seems like everybody has their own use for it i'm just happy that it gets people knowing how to properly pronounce my last name <laughs> yeah, love those open bar guys. Uh, Jen's been on there before with J. Mike and Gabe. Those are great guys. Uh, I, I want to give you a chance before we get into the NFC West. I want to talk about uh, the Bears running backs real quick. I I know you as a running back guy, and I know you as a Bears fan. And so uh, we all know David Montgomery surged over the second half of last year. We all know uh, they brought in Damian Williams, drafted Khalil Herbert, Tariq Cohen, theoretically going to be back at some point, though we may open the season on PUP. Uh, how are you approaching the Bears run game from a fantasy perspective going into this season? Well, I was pretty sour on David Montgomery last year. Uh, there wasn't anything that I'd really seen through his first uh, uh, year in the league that really excited me all too much. And I was fading him pretty hard heading into the 2020 season. And then he finished, as we all know, as the QB4, went on this tear on the back half of the season and helped a lot of fantasy managers win a lot of money. Um, I, I expected his ADP to go through the roof after the season that he had last year. But for some reason, he is still getting drafted in the late fourth, early fifth round. And I think that he is going to be pretty close to a bell cow. Um, when you're looking at the other guys that are getting drafted in that range, I think that he is going to see some of the most volume out there. So I really, really like him as ADP. And I understand that Tariq Cohen uh, is the reason that people are fading him. But as a Bears fan that has watched every snap Tariq Cohen has played since coming into the league, he is not the same player that he was as a rookie. You know, he got the nickname the human joystick and he was just carving the field up and he has lost his step. He is much more of an east-west runner now. And what we've seen from David Montgomery is that he is very capable as a pass catcher. So I expect him to get a lot more work and a much longer leash than we saw at the beginning of last season. One other thing is, you know, I pay attention to the beat reports and camp buzz, and David Montgomery looks phenomenal. He's lost a couple pounds. He's put on some speed. He still has that shiftiness and ability to break tackles, but what he has now is the second gear in the open field that we've seen a few flashes of, and, and that's where he'd struggle. You know, he'd get past the line, and then he'd get chased down by a linebacker, but he focused on speed training this offseason, so I think we could see a lot more home run plays from David Montgomery. I, I love him at his ADP. Yeah, I at ADP is a is a good way to put that. I I agree. You know, if I expected him to be drafted with Jonathan Taylor's, the Antonio Gibsons, but because he's down with Chris Carson, who I also love, and Swift and J.K. Dobbins, like like I I like Montgomery. I think he's going to get the touches. Jen, how are you approaching the Bears' backfield? Uh, because I know that that's usually a spot that you're looking running back is that third, fourth, fifth round territory. Well, actually, I have to say I am probably very overexposed to Damian Williams right now. Uh, he's 
dirt cheap. And I mean, the guy was like, basically, he should have been the Super Bowl MVP in 2019. I mean, let's be real. He took a year off for COVID and people just seem to forget how good he is. So I'm scooping him up because he's ridiculously cheap. And, you know, Tariq Cohen is hurt. If something happens to David Montgomery, Damian Williams could actually get in there and, uh, you know, score some points. So he's someone that I've definitely been scooping up later. I like Montgomery as well um, at ADP. I have no problem with that. I take him if I'm, if I'm you know, starting out with, with wide receivers or, you know, depending on the build, I'll, I'll go with him. But uh, out of that backfield, I definitely have the most exposure to Damian Williams. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, I, I've got a little Tariq Cohen as well. He's kind of been a, a last pick. I'm hoping he doesn't land on Pup. I also have kind of a loose connection to NCANT, so I just kind of root for the guy. Folks, 4 for 4 is partnered with Underdog Fantasy, and I, for one, am taking full advantage. I'll be in dozens of leagues by the time the season begins, and I love the best ball format. I can draft a team and then enjoy zero maintenance all season long. No setting lineups, no waivers, no problem. You automatically get maximum points out of your team each week. Right now, we have a screaming good deal. If you deposit $10 at Underdog Fantasy and use the promo code 4 for 4 that's 4-F-O-R-4, you get $25 from Underdog. That's the price of admission to Best Ball Media 2 with $3.5 million in total prizes. And you get a pro subscription to 4 for 4 This is one of the best promos I've seen in my 14 years with 4 for 4 So take advantage. Go sign up today. Let's get to our main segment, uh, NFC West Fantasy Breakdown. I'm going to start with the Seattle Seahawks, mainly because uh, I wanted to talk about the article that you wrote on Football Guys uh, from July about DK Metcalf. Uh, like I said, you were very reasonable. You kind of had like a very measured, settled-down approach to him. Uh, most of the DK Metcalf uh, commentary that I hear is usually through the moon. So it was kind of nice to read somebody mention, hey, he's good, but maybe not wide receiver four good or something along those lines. Can you tell the listeners how you're approaching the wide receiver core in Seattle and a little more about what you meant uh, with DK Metcalf, Dave? Of course. First of all, I love DK Metcalf, the player. I mean, he is absolutely electric, and what we saw in the front half of last year is the reason that he's getting drafted where he is. Um, but I, I think that when people start making comps to Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, I, I think that's where we're just you know getting a little bit too overexcited about this guy. First of all, he didn't even lead his targets last or lead his team in targets last year. There is no scenario ever where Julio Jones or Calvin Johnson would be taking a backseat to anybody on the field. But really, what this article was, it was more of a love letter to Tyler Lockett than it was a hit <laughs> yes! piece on DK Metcalf. And and like I said, Tyler Lockett out targeted this guy last year. And people kind of have this perception of Tyler Lockett as being this down-the-field burner, and that's all he's got. And, you know, he has a boomer bust tendency, and last year certainly uh, made that ring a little bit truer. But really, Tyler Lockett has developed over the last couple years. Since Doug Baldwin has left Seattle, that's kind of the role that Tyler Lockett has developed. For three straight years, we have seen his targets go up, we've seen his A dot go down, we've seen his first downs go up, and we've seen his touchdowns go up. And he is really just that safety valve for Russell Wilson. So I think that DK Metcalf is great, but 50% of his routes last year were go routes and slant routes. He still hasn't really developed the route tree to be that alpha receiver where he can just do it on any part of the field. He kind of relies on Tyler Lockett to take the pressure off of him for him to bust off his big plays. And then there was a video that I actually embedded into that article where uh, DK Metcalf sat down with Brandon Marshall, and Brandon Marshall asked him, what happened in the back half of the year? So for reference, the first half of the year, he ha he was the wide receiver too. Second half of the year on a per-game basis, he was the wide receiver 38, so a very wow. big fall-off. 
And what DK Metcalf said is teams figured us out. You know, the, the playbook that we had was run, 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 take a deep shot. And they stopped letting us get that deep shot. And that worries me a little bit. You know, if this guy is as dominant as we think he is, you know, they knew Calvin Johnson was getting the deep shots and they couldn't stop him, but they were able to take that away from DK Metcalf. So I think that his ceiling is still sky high, but I think that he's a little bit more boomer bust than people really want to believe. And with him getting drafted at the time that I wrote that article in the early second round, I was completely off his ADP. Since then, he's fallen a little bit. I- I'm-, I'm okay taking him in the third round when he drops, but I think an ADP in the second round is way too rich for me. I, I think that's very fair, and I share your affinity for Tyler Lockett, that love letter. I think once a year, Tyler Lockett makes a catch that makes me, like, like makes my jaw drop. That I go, there's no way he caught that, and it's and it's always good. He always gets his feet in pounds. I love Tyler Lockett. Uh, Jen, how are you approaching the Seattle wide receiver core? Well, as uh, as you all, I actually cannot quit Tyler Lockett. I love him. It's a weird thing. Like, I, I try. It's funny, because I was talking on, the, on a podcast recently uh, Scott Fishbowl, I think this is my sixth or seventh one, and I believe I've had him every single year. And I try not to, but it just, like, every year, it's like, okay, I'm t- taking Lockett. Uh, I do like Lockett. I think people are, you know, for like what Dave said, I mean, people are sad. I think last year, really, I think people soured on that offense in general, and I think it's, you know, the recency bias is carrying over into this season. Except for some reason, DK, DK I don't know if it's like, I said decaf. Um, I think it's his... Uh, you know, still that that photo of him. I don't know what it is about him, but uh, I think you it know. Was I just chasing looked, down Budabaker. Right. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. you're right. That yep. Yeah, that has people. But no, looking right now. So right now his ADP is 18. I mean, you know, so he's still in that second round, and I just feel like that's a little too high. I would rather wait and grab Lockett. I would rather take AJ Brown. I would rather take Nuke. I would rather take Justin Jefferson. Like I just feel like I'm I'm going more that route than DK. I will say though. The addition of Shane Waldron this year should have people excited in general. I mean, Brian Schottenheimer is gone, so um, they may be able to, you know, just have more creative passing plays, more passing plays in general. So I'm not off them at all, but I'm definitely more on the on the locket train than Metcalf at ADP. Sure, sure. And then uh, let's transition to the running game here, Jen, because this podcast is unofficially the Chris Carson fan (laughs) podcast. Uh, We both love Chris Carson. Mm -hmm. He's drafted a lot on both our teams. We've talked about him. Uh, Do you see any reason to be concerned about the other backs in Seattle? Because uh, we got to ask that question because every year somebody's talking, ooh, DJ Dallas, ooh, Rashad Benny. And Uh. we're seeing it again. We're seeing Rashad Penny looks healthy and all this stuff. And uh, I'm not worried, but I wanted to hear uh, just kind of the double down approach from you on our Chris Carson love especially considering the fact that he can still be had in that fourth fifth round territory are you asking me or Dave Jen go ahead oh yeah um no I'm not worried about anybody I mean I was actually just looking up so Penny it's funny because right with Carson the knock on Carson is always oh he's hurt he's hurt right Carson's missed seven games in three years Penny's missed 21 so you got that right. I mean, Penny just is hurt, and they, they, you know, they're the same age. They've been in the league the same time. I'm not worried about that. DJ Dallas, Travis. They even have they have Alex Collins now. I'm not worried about it. Chris Carson is the type of guy. I mean, he plays hard, and which is why he does get injured. But mm-hmm. he's, I mean, he, you know, he does play hard, and he just, I don't. Every year in and year out, he just quietly gets it done, and he's always like a fourth rounder. This year, actually, he snuck up into the third, which I'm not very happy about. Um, but he's like, I think last year he was a fifth at one point. And like, it's just like kind of what Dave was saying about Montgomery. Like you think, okay, people are going to catch on like, Hey, he's an RB one, you know, but somehow 
every year he's in that zone where people just don't want to take him. And I mean, I think I looked like his, he basically averaged like 13.8 half PPR points a game over the last three years, which is an RB 13. So he's not quite an RB one, but he's right there Mm -hmm. and he's being drafted late. And so, yes, I will continue to take Carson every time. And I'm not concerned about Rashad Penny or Travis Homer or DJ Dallas or Alex Collins, whichever, whoever ends up being there, you know, once roster cuts happen, I still think it's the Carson show. Yeah, I, th- I think so, too. And, and Dave, I, w- I want to get your thoughts on Carson, uh, mainly because we're talking NFC West, and this might be the last time we get to talk about a running back we all really, really like, which will be yeah. fun uh, today. And then also, Dave, I know you, and I know you'll draft seven running backs in a row. So Carson's got to be got to <laughs> be on your on your radar, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, this is definitely the Chris Carson fan podcast, especially with me on it. I don't know if many people have Chris Carson ranked as high as I do. I have him as my RB12. Uh, mm-hmm. I just love Chris Carson. And the nice mm-hmm. thing is I think that he is going to finish as an RB1 and where everybody else that's rated as an RB1 is getting drafted in the first and second round. Like we already said, he's dropping into the third and fourth. I absolutely love Chris Carson. Uh, Jen already hit on the fact that, you know, everybody has this idea that he's injury prone, but he really hasn't missed that many games. And then people try to knock on him saying that he has a problem with fumbles. Well, that was a very short stretch two years ago, and he has gotten that under control. And then when you look at the guys backing him up, Rashad Penny can't stay healthy. Travis Homer is only there for, you know, third down rolls and and, and dispel him a little bit. And then DJ Dallas, people are worried about DJ Dallas, that he's going to be somebody. They gave DJ Dallas one start last year before they went to the streets and they pulled yeah. Alex Collins out of nowhere <laughs> after a year and a half off. So I don't think this team has any faith in DJ Dallas. Another promising sign uh, is that this team likes to run. You know, Pete Carroll realized after making that terrible play call in the Super Bowl, you see it when you watch Seattle. When they get close to the goal line, it is Chris Carson, Chris Carson, Chris Carson until he gets (laughs) into the end zone. And then the one other thing I like about Chris Carson is that he was on a career pace last year for receptions. So he is getting involved in the passing game now, which was one of the knocks on him in previous years. So this guy realistically uh, should be rated as a RB1 and people just don't want to for whatever reason. That's a great nugget about the receptions. His ADP is RB18, so just figure out that out there. Yeah, uh, 40, 40th on, on underdog. So that's right there in the fourth round, which is just just screaming value, I think, for, for Chris Carson. A- absolutely. Uh, Dave, you talked about the offense and how uh, – you know, bringing over a new coach could help and how it was kind of a tale of two offenses last year. Uh, as a result, Russell Wilson has kind of slipped a little bit. He's going as the QB six. Uh, you can get him a couple rounds later than the Dak Prescott's, uh, you know, the Lamar Jackson's of the world. Like you can get Russell Wilson a little later. Uh, do you think that he's kind of forgotten value at this point? Or do you think uh, the huge fluctuation for the first to second half last year makes it warranted to be concerned about him? You know, I think uh, QB6 is very fair, and and that's not a knock on Russell Wilson at all. That is just speaking to the top tier of quarterbacks that we have this year. Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, those guys deserve to be in a tier of their own. Um, You know, Patrick Mahomes is just, you know, one one of the best quarterbacks that we've seen in modern history. And then the other guys that I mentioned all have a lot more rushing upside than you're going to get with Russell Wilson. So, uh, you know, as much as I do like Russell Wilson and I love his value at QB6, it's really hard to make an argument to put him above any of those other guys. Yeah, I used to kind of shy away from those like seventh round quarterbacks, which is just kind of a tier that I put out there, Jen. Uh, You know, this year I'm kind of eyeing them because you're getting seventh round, you're getting Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers and Justin Herbert, and those guys are all pretty good. Are you eyeing those guys or are you still kind of doing an earlier late kind of strategy, Jen? 
Yeah, it really just depends on the draft and what's going on, my spot in the draft, all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to shy away from Wilson. I've taken my fair share. I've taken my fair share of Herbert. I've taken my fair share of, you know, Rodgers. Uh, I, I definitely, yeah, I mean, I'll, 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 I'm going for value on the board, and, and it really just depends on where I am. I'm definitely, as you all know, listeners of the podcast and whatever, I'm definitely a go-with-the-flow drafter. I don't go in like, okay, I'm going zero RB, or I'm going this, or I'm going that. I just kind of wait and see what happens. Um, some people, it makes them nervous that I do that, <laughs> especially people that I, that co- I co-manage teams with that are, that are very anxiety-ridden that I don't have a full like spreadsheet with every single person that I want. But that's just the hey, way I work. It's the you know, way I'm I right work. here, Jen. You can just <laughs> say my name. <laughs> um, I actually was not even referring to you, but um, it is just the way I operate. And so, yeah, I mean, if Wilson is there at a certain time, I will do it. If I'm working on a staff, like if I happen to – decide to go with DK at that moment. And then, you know, Wilson comes to me, you know, in, in a stack, I, w- I would do that too. I'm kind of just, um, I'm not opposed to it. Cause I think Russell's one of those guys that, you know, similar to his weapons, right. People were, are going off last year and what happened and they're kind of scared of it. And, um, you know, he still does, he doesn't offer the rushing upside as everybody else, but he still does. I mean, the guy runs the ball. So um, I will take him if, if the situation is right. Makes sense. Makes sense. And then finally, I, I want to talk uh, about Gerald Everett a little bit. Uh, I know he's not being drafted high, but he's my favorite tight end target when I'm doing the three tight end build where I take three guys really late right now. He's the tight end 15 on underdog being drafted 144th. So, it, you know, he's somebody you can stack with a few other tight ends, hoping one of them hits. Is Gerald Everett, do you, are you as bullish on him as a value option at tight end as I am, or am I crazy? I have more exposure on Gerald Everett than any other tight end in underdog right now. <laughs> My favorite move in underdog is to wait till, uh, you know, you get to that spot where I can double tap Gerald Everett and Johnny Smith. And I am very confident with those two as my tight ends. I actually just did a pretty deep dive on this. And if you look at the five-year average, well, well, let me rewind for a quick second. The problem with tight ends in Seattle hasn't been that they aren't effective. The problem has been they haven't stayed healthy. If you look at the last three years, only one tight end on that team has been able to play 12 games, and that was Will Disley last year, where he was limited with an injury in the majority of them. So last year was a mix of Jacob Hollister, Greg Olson, Will Disley. The year before that, Luke Wilson was in there getting some snaps. The season before that, Nick Vanette. But if you look at the last five years, the average for tight ends is... 105 targets, 72 receptions, 770 yards, and nine touchdowns. So I don't expect all of that to go Gerald Everett's way, but I do expect him to take the majority of that. Um, So I I, I love him where he's at. Um, Jimmy Graham is kind of the comp, I'd say, as far as athleticism and being able to uh, take up a big point or a big section of the target share there. Jimmy Graham commanded 75.5% of the tight end targets while he was in Seattle. And I expect Gerald Everett to get kind of similar to that. So if he's able to get 75% of those averages that I just told you, that puts him in as a middling tight end. And and that's exactly where I expect him to finish is somewhere in the tight end five to eight range. Wow, that's pretty high. I like it though. I have a lot of Everett as well. I think he's a really good, a good target if you decide to either wait completely or sometimes I'll even go, like if I get one of the top guys, and then I'll just wait and grab Everett as my second and then be done with it and be happy. Um, so as far as uh, underdog, right, we're talking Seattle. I mentioned stacks a little bit, but um, how do you guys feel as far as like Seattle stacks? I'm looking right now at the at ADP. I mean, have you been stacking Seattle? Have you been? I mean, I know, you know, we all like to stack in best ball and um, it has been proven advantageous. But, you know, Seattle stacks for me, for some reason, aren't really talked about that much. 
I think there's a lot of other teams that people have been kind of going towards. Um, I do Seattle sacks when I can. I mean, it, it depends. You know, obviously, as we talked about, DK's a little pricey. Lockett is, is you know, in there. Um, but it's, you know, I've done some where I've done like Wilson and Everett and then maybe grab, you know, our, our coworker, Justin Edwards' favorite player, Dwayne Eskridge. But um, I don't know. How do you guys feel about Seattle stacks? I love them, and uh, you know, four for four is going to know how much I love Seattle. I just did a James Co. show not too long ago where we did a best ball draft together, and I came out of that draft with Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson, and Gerald Everett. Just about yeah. everybody we've talked about on this show. Uh, I think it's one of the more affordable stacks that you can get. I think if you try slipping DK Metcalf in there, you know, then it then it gets a little bit too rich. But um, you know, I, I love pairing up Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett at their ADPs. And then we already talked about how Chris Carson's a value, so slipping him in there and then getting Gerald Everett towards the end of the draft, that's actually a stack that I have built quite often in underdog. Yeah, I, I admittedly on the puppy three, I, I, I spent like the whole offseason trying to draft DK Metcalf and just couldn't do it because he just, you know, like I'd be a situation where I'd be picking 12th and I'd be like, this is the perfect time. Right. And then he'd go he'd go 11th or something like that. Like I just couldn't get him. So uh, puppy three, I made two lineups that I just forced a hardcore Seattle stack where I went, where I went like Metcalf and then, uh, you know, paired him up with like Eckler or somebody like that. And then I, I made sure to get Carson and then I made sure to get Wilson and Everett. So I've forced it because I'm that interested in the offense and I'm that interested in it. Uh, and then I have several accidental Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson, uh, Russell Wilson stacks, because that's often where my fourth and fifth round, uh, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round lines up. So I, I like it. I've been targeting that. Uh, like you said, Jen, the Metcalf stack, I feel like you have to force a little more. I feel like mm -hmm. it's a little harder to to let it kind of develop organically, but I like it overall. The thing that's weird, though, to me about about getting Wilson in a stack is that he's it's not super reliable. Like, it's super tilting and sweaty to see if you're going to get him because I feel like Wilson is one of those people where – Sometimes people will take him earlier, and then some sometimes he'll totally slide. Yeah, you can't so, bank on it. <laughs> yeah, so like sometimes you are like full sweat because you've already taken. Like I've had drafts where I've taken DK and Lockett, and I'm just waiting and waiting. I'm like, if I get screwed out of the stack right now, um, but yeah. So sometimes I feel like that's one of those stacks where you know some stacks like you know you're gonna get right. Like you do, you know, you're doing like a a Steelers stack, and you grab Deontay and you grab Claypool and. And you know you can get, like, Ebron and Roethlisberger later because no one's clamoring for them. But yeah, that's even, kinda... even, like, Tannehill, like, any any roster where I get A.J. Brown, like, it locks me into right. my quarterback. I'm already, like, I know I'm going to get Tannehill now. Right, so. especially I, now that he has COVID or whatever. Yeah, so I, I just looked at my best ball mania exposure. I have done 10 best ball mania drafts so far, and somehow Ryan Tannehill is on eight of those rosters. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Tannehill as a QB2 <laughs> is just way too hard to pass on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I have a lot. I actually have a lot of Tannehill from before. Like I had to make myself stop taking him because <laughs> earlier in the summer I just had way too much. Especially like before the Julio trade, he was even you know cheaper. And then I was getting him and Josh Reynolds and AJ Brown and and Ferkser, And I just I had so much of that that I had to force myself to stop taking Titans because it was just too much. Um, but yeah. So but I, and also I was just going to throw out there. Um, if, if for those of you who are interested in our discussion and have somehow yet not signed up for, for Underdog, if you go in there with our promo code 444, deposit 10 bucks on Underdog, you get 25 bucks and a 444 subscription. Um, also, another thing actually I wanted to throw out there while we were kind of talking about um, stacks and ADP movement and all that stuff is uh, Daryl Henderson. Like the, with the whole Sony Michelle trade and all that going on, like, I mean... <sighs> 
It's one of those things that's interesting. Like, Daryl Henderson has, has has had quite the ride this summer. You know, he was, like, nowhere, and then Akers gets hurt, and then all of a sudden he climbs up, and now people are... I don't know. I, th- I think he settled into, what, the fourth round or the fifth round? I'm not sure exactly where he is, because it really depends on the day. But um, are you guys in on him, out on him? How do you guys feel about Henderson? I was drafting a lot of Daryl Henderson beforehand, and I was kind of beating the table that I thought he was going to be a pretty big part of this offense, even when Cam Akers was there. Uh, Last year, if you look at um, almost all of the advanced metrics, Daryl Henderson was actually a little bit more efficient than Cam Akers was. And I get it. You know, Cam Akers was a rookie and he had some injuries and it took him some time to get up to speed. But I think that Daryl Henderson is a perfect complement to any starting running back. So I was getting a ton of Daryl Henderson late in drafts. And then when Akers went down, I wasn't really buying into it because like you said, his ADP really shot up and he's getting drafted with guys we were talking about earlier in that mm-hmm. area that we really like David Montgomery, Chris Carson. And I was seeing Henderson go around there and I couldn't possibly imagine him being in a scenario where he would finish near those guys. So, uh, you know, I, my, my exposure has started to drop down a little bit since the acres injury, but now with the Sony Michelle trade, I don't know what to make of this. You know, Adam Schefter said that he is going to be the starting running back that Sony Michelle is going to be the lead back wow. and I'll believe it when I see it. But right now there are way too many question marks in LA for me to buy into that backfield. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, as, as a, as a UGA homer, like I would love for Sony Michelle to actually be a thing. I mean, I've loved him since college and I wish, you know, I was bummed that he, I was bummed when he went to the Patriots because we know what a cluster that backfield is year in and year out. Um, and he definitely did not do anything there to, uh, you know, to set himself apart. So I would love if he would actually, you know, resurrect his career there in LA. But I'm um, like you said, I'm kind of staying away after that. I just don't really know what to make of it. Brandon, what are you doing? So I've never really been a Daryl Henderson guy. Uh, I, I liked him, like Dave said, I liked him when his ADP was really low and you could take him and be like, oh, he's going to have a role, right? He's going to have, but I, I, I think that that role he was going to have with Akers is the role the Rams want him to have. And so I, I think that whether it's a full-on committee or supplemental work, I think Henderson will always have value but I, I never thought he'd be a workhorse. I just didn't think that that would happen. So I think, Michelle, I'm kind of buying he might be the starter. But by starter in that offense, it, I don't think it means – I don't think Adam Schefter or the Rams want him to be 30 touches a game like they were right. uh, flirting with with Akers. I think it just means he's the starter and they're going to run a, a, a large backfield approach. That's what I think, which tells me let's stay away from – both those guys, considering where the ADP is going to land up, I saw Sonny Michelle go in the sixth round at a puppy today, and and that's oh. I can't I can't do that. <laughs> I, I yeah. think Sony Michelle will be the starter the same way that Malcolm Brown was the starter last year. <laughs> yeah, like just enough to hurt Daryl Anderson, not enough yes. to be great. <laughs> well, I guess we're, stay, we're staying with the Rams, and also staying with my my alma mater. We've yeah, got Matthew, we've got Matthew Stafford. Um, how do you guys, I mean, Stafford's interesting because I want to love him and I do love him. Um, but at the same time, he doesn't have that rushing upside that a lot mm-hmm. of people have. I mean, he is a statue. We know that. What, um, but he is, you know, obviously he's in a much better offense here in LA. Um, do you guys think he's being undervalued? Like regular, uh, what's the term for just good? Like, I just thought about that. You've got overvalued, undervalued, like what? He's valued. He's valued. <laughs> um, <laughs> So let me let me look real quick at his uh, actual ADP. He's he going in the tenth round right now. Yeah, yeah so he's tenth QB round. Thirteen in the tenth. I mean, Dave, what? How you feel about Stafford? 
I have almost no exposure on Matthew Stafford, and it's just because of how volatile he can be. You know, he like like you said, he doesn't have any rushing upside. And in order for a quarterback to really finish as a QB one, we need to see near historic passing numbers at this. Just the way that the NFL is nowadays. We already talked about the top tier of running backs that I really like. And then once you get past that, you've got Russell Wilson and you've got Ryan Tannehill and you've got Jalen Hurts and you've got Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields and Trey Lance. And there are a lot of guys out there that are going to basically just give you a floor of four or 500 rushing yards. And with Stafford not having that, he's going to need to pass for 4,500 yards and 35 touchdowns in order to finish as a QB1. So I'm not really crazy about Stafford here. I think that he's going to be great for the Rams, and I'm sure we're going to talk about Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and what he does for them, and I, I, I love that. But for me, I'm just kind of at the point where I don't want anything to do with quarterbacks that don't have rushing upside. Give me that rushing upside floor every single week. In redraft formats, I'm actually targeting him as my QB2 because in one quarterback leagues, uh, you don't really, you know, you can you can target those guys, get them kind of late. Uh, that best ball ADP of 10th round in redraft equates to like 12th round uh, in a lot of the things that I've seen him in. So I've been pairing him with like the rookie exciting guys or the second year guys. I might take Jalen Hurts in the ninth round and then take Stafford two rounds later, or I might take Stafford and then take Justin Fields or Trey Lance just because I know Stafford will at least give me a nice floor and he doesn't cost that much. Uh, but then I go for that Konami upside that Dave's talking about with kind of a more volatile option as my, you know, quote unquote QB one on my roster. And, you know, you say that he gives a nice floor, and, and, and I don't want to say that he doesn't, but it, it does worry me a little bit. You know, I'd rather have the floor of Jalen Hurts, who you know is going to rush for 60, 70 mm-hmm. yards a week. I mean, if Matthew Stafford has a game where he only throws for one touchdown and, you know, doesn't have that many yards, you know, he, Matthew Stafford is much more likely to have an 8 or a 10-point week than anybody that rushes the ball can. And that's what worries me, is you're hoping for him to throw two to three touchdowns and 300 yards every single week to pay off. Sure, that's why I pair him up. But on right, the flip exactly. side, like, okay, so you have someone like Jalen Hurts who's going to have the rushing, but, like, what if he has no one to throw to and doesn't throw the ball, right? So you're looking at, like, I don't know. I guess that's Lamar in, in a certain sense, but it just – I don't know. I, I, I feel like there is value for Stafford. Like, I feel like I, I totally understand that he doesn't run, but, like, neither does Tom Brady. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like with the weapons that he has, um, I think – I guess like like you were saying in redraft, Stafford will not be my one quarterback, definitely not. But I feel like in best ball there is value there to get you know because you can do you know plenty of stacks, right? You've got Higby and you've got Woods and Cup or both. You can do Van Jefferson or Tutu or whatever, or you you know Higby. There's there's a ton of ways to stack it where I feel like it would make sense. Now, I, like Brandon said earlier, I would definitely pair him with a rushing quarterback just to make sure. But I do think that, you know, if we just completely overlook the fact that he doesn't run, like I know that, it you know, it's cool for everyone, you know, or not cool, but it's the new thing that you have to absolutely have a rushing quarterback. And I do 100% understand the value in that, in the floor, you know, you have an automatic floor there. But I feel like just dismissing Stafford because he doesn't run, I don't know, I'm not 100% on so, board with that. So I, I think the one thing, the, the reason that I keep passing on Matthew Stafford, I feel like the gap between him and Matt Ryan Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield, I don't feel like there's really that big of a gap between those players. But when you're looking at ADP, there's almost a four-round gap yeah. between those players. That's a, so you, that's a so very you good wait. point. Yeah, yeah, you no, can, that you is can pass on Matthew Stafford and then get Matt Ryan four yeah. rounds later, who's going to yeah. offer you pretty similar production. That's a very good point. Yeah, that's, that's fair. <laughs> Especially those one-quarterback leagues where uh, where those guys are available late. Like, you can mm-hmm. snatch them up way late in the draft. I uh, I definitely have a lot of, like, Justin Fields – 
uh, Matt Stafford lineups and Trey mm-hmm. Lance, Matt Stafford, just because that part of me goes, what if Matt Nagy's the psycho and never starts Justin Fields? But, you know, but that's definitely where I went. No, that's a great point, though. At ADP, uh, Stafford definitely is more expensive than those other guys. That there might not be a big delta. Right. Well, I'm, so I, I guess in, in my ramble, I did mention uh, Woods and Cup and some of the uh, some of the weapons there. Um, you know, it's funny. Woods and Cup have very similar ADP, and it seems like people are either a one or the other. You know, like I, I usually go for Woods more than Cup. I like the rushing upside of Woods. He always has you know the random rushing plays out of nowhere that that are, are great. Um, do uh, you know? Let's we'll start, Dave. Do you prefer one or the other? Do you take both? Do you take neither? Uh, I guess it depends on what side of the bed I wake up on that morning. I struggle with this one so much going back and forth between Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Um, I think that if you're looking for upside and ceiling, I think you get that with Cooper Cup. Um, I could see him really taking a step forward, becoming the wide receiver one, and just putting up great numbers with Matt Stafford this year. But then Robert Woods, like you said, you know, he's kind of an extension of the run game. He gets a lot of manufactured plays to get him the ball in space where he can pick up some yak. So it's really tough to pick one of these guys over the other. I have them back-to-back in my rankings. Uh, I have them both in the uh, low 20s, and I... I Honestly, over the le- throughout the offseason, I have flip-flopped them about five times, and I really can't make up my mind. Um, I-, I think, you know, if I had to pick today, I'd be leaning towards Cooper Cup a little bit just because I think that he offers a bit more upside and uh, could probably, you know, edge Robert Woods in the touchdowns. Brandon, what about you? I feel like you're a Woods person, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I am a Woods person, but I like them both. I, I like it, but there's yeah, really... Yeah, that's I, I how I am. Yeah, I, I don't have bad things. Um, I, I trend Woods because in my mind, Cup had a major knee injury not too long ago, and, and that's probably the only thing. There, there's really no justification for that. Cup played 15 games last year, so it's not like it's right. not like he's injury-prone compared to Woods or anything like that. But uh, the other thing is, and, and again, I, this is really splitting hairs because I do like both of them, uh, Goff really likes the slot, and that's where Cup lands. So, uh, you know, I wonder if Stafford, not that Stafford doesn't throw to the slot, but not like Goff does. And so I right. do wonder if maybe Woods's profile might pair a little better with Stafford uh, than perhaps it did with Goff. So that that's probably uh, where I'm doing. But again, I'm splitting hairs. I like both these guys. Yeah, I've taken my fair share of both. I've had to kind of force myself to take up more than Woods at times because I feel like Woods is just kind of always there for mm-hmm. me. And I always, it's like an immediate, my... my mind brain finger trigger reaction woods you know but i feel like i have to kind of mix it up sometime um but you know there are other uh, receivers there we've got van jefferson we've got tutu outwell we've got Deshaun jackson i i can't say that i have much of any um i think Deshaun jackson has value in best ball because he's you know he's gonna get that crazy one random game where mm-hmm. he has like an 80 yard touchdown and then maybe another one or whatever uh, but I haven't really gone with the. I know some people are on Van Jefferson and Tutu. I'm not. Are either of you guys into them? No, uh, I have been drafting Deshaun Jackson late, though. Um, you know, yeah. one thing that Matthew Stafford has been over the last, uh, I believe it's five years, he's the most accurate deep ball passer. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of that was probably skewed a bit because he was chucking balls to Calvin Johnson, who helped out his completion percentage just a little bit. But we see that this team is going to make a change. We already talked about how they were limited a little bit with Jared Goff, and they did a lot of underneath routes, and they kind of watered down the offense to cater to Jared Goff. And now, with uh, the moves that we've seen this offseason, they bring in Matt Stafford, who has a great deep ball, and then they signed to Sean Jackson, and they 
draft Tutu Atwell. So I think that we're going to see a lot more deep shots from this team that we haven't seen in the past. And Deshaun Jackson, I, you know, if we knew that he was guaranteed to be healthy for an entire season, I think he'd be getting drafted in the 8th, ninth, 10th round realistically. Uh, but it's that injury concern mm-hmm. right now that has him falling so far down draft boards. I mean, this guy hasn't been able to stay healthy for quite some time now. So that is baked into his ADP. I mean, you can literally get him in the last round of your draft. And like you said, he's going to have a couple weeks where he's going to blow up. It might be one week, it might be two or three, but I think that he's going to still uh, have a couple big games with some deep touchdowns because I expect that to be a new layer to this Rams offense this year. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I actually have one of these in almost every best ball um, uh, lineup that I have as like my last receiver. They're they're available way late. Uh, like you both mentioned, Deshaun Jackson, he's going to have three great gra- games, right? He's probably not going to play 10 games, but he, he's going to have three great ones. Tutu Atwell, I think also will have a couple big shots. Uh, Van Jefferson is the only one of those that I'm targeting at all in redraft. Like I call Van Jefferson... Uh, my kicker, right? Because I don't usually draft a kicker. I usually pick one up on waivers because uh, often my kicker gets cut before before the season starts anyway. So if I can avoid drafting a kicker, I will draft Van Jefferson instead because I think he's going to be the slot guy. I think he's going to get to Josh Reynolds targets. And uh, I just like Tim a lot coming out of college. Now I know he's not your college uh jen but i i do i i did like him coming out a lot as a as a prospect so uh, he's not someone that i'm targeting as someone who i think is going to be a great wide receiver too but i think he has the potential to be a bi-week filler and a solid upside guy who could really fill in if cup gets hurt um so wide receiver seven in a redraft league wide receiver nine in a best ball league i'm i'm interested i can get behind that i don't hate that um so let's move on to tight end shall we uh, we got Higby, and then we have, I guess, Jacob Harris. I guess he's a tight. I mean, he is a tight end, but he's a wide receiver. <laughs> he's a wide receiver on underdogs. So I put him on the show my- notes just because I know you like him, Jen. No, I do like him, and I'm not gonna lie. Like, he's my last draft pick in almost every draft. Well, a he's a wide receiver on an on underdog, so I love sneaking him in there because you know he's yeah. And then some of the, I think um on uh, on MFL like for Scott Fishbowl, he was my last pick as well, but he's a tight end there. Uh, and I think in best ball 10, I think he's a, I think he might be a tight end on that site. I'm not really sure. And I don't know what he's on, on Yahoo and all the other sites. It's all different, but uh, you know, listen, he's, he's, he's been their little training camp darling. And uh, I, I don't know. He'd be, he'd be to me is just a guy. I mean, maybe he's not, but he just doesn't interest me. And maybe I should take more Higby than I have been, but you know, as you know, Brandon, and a lot of people who listen to the show, I'm definitely an elite tight end or bust. So he just doesn't fall in a range where I'm going to take a tight end. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather just wait and just, you know, gamble on Harris and listen in best ball. I'm not going to take Harris in redraft. Let's, let's be, you know, let's be clear here. But as, as a last round best ball target, if he ends up being their tight end one or whatever, however they end up using him, um, he's going to have some, some boom weeks, which will be exciting. Um, are you guys like Dave, are you on Higby? Are you not on Higby? No, I, I wish I opened the show pounding the table for stop trying to make Tyler Higby happen. Um, that, that's, that's what I should have done. It's unbelievable. Like this guy just has these flashes where he just like amasses a bunch of touchdowns, but he's never really been a thing. Um, I, I was just looking at his numbers uh, uh, just a couple of days ago, actually. But uh, in week two, he had that three touchdown game and everyone was going crazy. For the rest of the season, he averaged 2.8 receptions and 32.8 yards per game with two touchdowns. 
in 13 games. <laughs> so I get it. Gerald Everett's gone now, but Gerald Everett didn't have that big of a role last year. Um, you can make the argument that, you know, Matthew Stafford is going to make this team a lot better. Sure. But we already talked about how many talented pass catchers are on this team with Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, uh, you know, Van Jefferson, Deshaun Jackson. I think that Higby is going to be the odd man out in this offense. And, and I'm not buying into either of them. Yeah. What Dave said. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's, let's talk Cardinals because, uh, we don't have to talk about the tight end with Cardinals. I think we could just skip that. And, uh, yep. what so is it, let's... Max? You know, I can't interest you into Max Williams. I, I, you know what, Jen, I'm, I'm not interested in your, Max Williams. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, Dave, uh, Kyler Murray, you know, one of the most exciting young quarterbacks in the league. I, I think he's about three foot six tall, uh, but somehow <laughs> still manages to, to look impressive and, uh, has been remarkably durable during his first couple years, despite um, concerns over his size. Great arm, uh, that Konami code aspect. He's got weapons and a pass-happy offense. Uh, what's Kyler Murray's ceiling? Because uh, he's being drafted high, so you, you have to pay to get him. Um, is he worth that lofty draft stat, or that lofty ADP? Yeah, his ceiling is quarterback one. I mean, there is no reason that he can't finish as the quarterback one. And, you know, this is the third time now that I've talked about this top tier of quarterbacks, but all of those guys, their ceiling is <laughs> QB one, realistically. Um, I, I, you know, Kyler Murray could rush for a thousand yards this year, and it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, last year before that shoulder injury, he was on fire. And then mm -hmm. he got that shoulder injury and he slowed down a little bit. DeAndre Hopkins slowed down a little bit. But uh, Kyler Murray, I think, is one of the better values that you can get right now, kind of falling at the end of that top tier. And and I love him. Uh, you know, he he's one of my favorite players to watch. He just has such a unique style, the way he runs, you know, his baseball background. He doesn't look like a normal football player out there. But then from a fantasy standpoint, you know, he is just loaded with phenomenal pass catchers on that team. He's got the rushing upside, and his ceiling is the overall QB1. So, Jen, um, the most important thing about Kyler Murray is uh, before he was drafted, they asked him what his favorite movie was, and he said The Great Gatsby, which... What? Yeah, I, I need to ask you how much of a red flag that is. So nothing against that movie. Like, it's fine. It's just a strange favorite movie to me. You know what That's I mean? It's super weird. Doesn't I mean, it seem random? You know? I don't I'm think, just, you know, you, I had thoughts. to read... Yeah, well, okay, my thoughts. I've never actually seen the movie. Um, I did read the book in, I don't know, middle school, high school, whatever. We had to read the book. I don't think I've ever actually seen the movie. Um, I don't know that it's a red flag. It's really random. I mean, I... I don't even I don't even have words really to what to say to that. I don't even know that might be the only person other than the great Gatsby's people who are in the movie is that that being their favorite movie. That's that's really strange. I don't know. I got nothing for you, but I think that's really weird. Um, but thank you for that piece of trivia. Now I know that that's great uh, trivia, right? And Dave, I mean, apologies if your favorite movie is The Great Gatsby. I, I didn't mean to shame you in any way. I have I have not seen the movie, so I'm I'm out of this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I, like I said, I don't know. Other than like the director and writer, and you know, I don't know if, this, if it's anybody's favorite movie. But that's super interesting. So like, I like yeah, yeah. So like Tobey Maguire to Leonardo DiCaprio, DeAndre Hopkins is Kyler Murray's uh, main squeeze. You know, in, in mm -hmm. that offense, uh, Jen. How high are you drafting Hopkins? Is he worth the second round, late second round uh, pick that he costs right now, um, considering, you know, coming off a great season? But he is getting a little bit older compared to the other receivers, and so some people might think he might be uh, destined for some sort of a drop-off. How are you approaching Hopkins? I have actually been off Hopkins, and I, I like him, but I've, I've been one of those. I think we talked about this last week or maybe the week before on this pod, but 
Um, when I go Kyler, I, I've been going naked Kyler mostly for most of the season. Um, I've come around on Rondell Moore. I'm sure we'll, we'll get we'll get to that in a minute. But um, as far as Hopkins goes, he's he's going in like the early second, and I just I find myself kind of preferring to go with Ridley or you know AJ Brown in that in that spot. I, I'm not. I shouldn't say I'm not completely off him, but I'm not like tripping over myself to get him. Like you said, he is getting a little old, and um, I just feel like there's better value on the board at that time. Sure. Uh, sorry, I, I, I need a moment. You just said Calvin Ridley, and I just got really excited. So um, I'm going <laughs> to take a moment, ease myself down off my Calvin Ridley high. Uh, Dave, uh, Hopkins, you know, uh, obviously the alpha there. Any of those other receivers, A.J. Green, Rondale Moore, uh, they still got Christian Kirk running around there. Andy Isabella's bound to drop a few balls. Uh, anyone else outside of DeAndre Hopkins hold any appeal to you in that Arizona passing attack? Yeah, I mean, I'm throwing darts at all of them. I I Mm -hmm. love Rondell Moore. Uh, You know, the reports of A.J. Green sound like they're great. Uh, Christian Kirk is somebody that I think is still going to have a role here because of how many four wide receiver sets they they roll out. Um, I I shouldn't have said throwing darts at all of them. I want nothing to do with Andy Isabella. But uh, the (laughs) the first three guys, absolutely, I think that they are worth a draft pick. And then even DeAndre Hopkins. You know, it seems like people are souring on him for whatever reason. We talked about how the whole offense kind of went a little bit stagnant once Kyler Murray got hurt. Well, before Kyler Murray got hurt, DeAndre Hopkins was the overall wide receiver one. I mean, I I think that his ceiling is wide receiver one. I think that Kyler Murray's ceiling is QB one. So I I love DeAndre Hopkins right now. You can get him in the mid to late second round. And I think that his ceiling is just as high as Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams. When you look at his his splits, from the time that he teamed up with Deshaun Watson and then prior to Deshaun Watson, his numbers have exploded. So with Deshaun Watson and Kyler Murray over the last few years, he's averaging almost 1,500 yards per 16 games and 12 touchdowns. I mean, it's phenomenal numbers. And, um, you know, people get this idea that the air raid offense is going to spread the ball around a lot, but DeAndre Hopkins is still the alpha there. And I think that he can still carve out a role where he's seeing 11 to 12 targets per game. Uh, I'm with you. I feel like he might get 3,000 targets this year. Like, I feel like the Cardinals <laughs> might just keep throwing it to him. I totally get that. Dave, what are you doing with the backfield? As my as one oh. of my favorite running back guys, what are you doing with the backfield in Arizona? It seems like a mess. I thought, I'm sorry to interrupt in one second. I thought you were about to say it's one of your favorite backfields. I was like, what? <laughs> now I understand what you were saying. Carry on. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I am not really too crazy about this backfield. Um, if, if, you know... Chase Edmonds drops to a point where it's a good value. I'll take him, but I don't think I've drafted James Conner once this year. This just this just seems like such a weird fit for James Conner. You know, he's he's in an in between the tackles runner. Um, so the other thing with James Conner is he misses time every single year. He's never made it through a full sixteen game season. And now with the extra game, he's even more likely to miss time. So I think that when he inevitably does miss time. Chase Edmonds is going to have those weeks where he's going to be a low-end RB1, high-end RB2. So I like getting him in best ball uh, just because you know that there's going to be a handful of weeks where he is going to pay off. That makes sense. You know, Edmonds, when he, he was going like fourth round a couple months ago, now that he's like seventh round, I'm with you. I'll throw a few darts best ball at him. Um, Jen, how are you approaching that backfield? I'm not taking either of them, to be honest with you. I just, I don't know. They're, it's just gross to me. I don't know. I can't really. I mean, like you said, fine. I mean, Chase Edmonds has slipped, so possibly. Connor, I don't really understand. I mean, Chase does get the, you know, the pass catching upside there a little bit. I'm um, looking at their 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 preseason. I know it's preseason, but uh combined, so Chase Edmonds has four rushes for 13 yards and one catch for 10. 
And James Conner has two rushes for one yard. So that is what the backfield together has done so far this preseason. Um, I just, you know, I think there's just other other guys out there that I'm going to take and let someone else deal with them, especially like in redraft. You don't want to deal with that every week. Like, do I need, you know, should I start Edmund? Should I not? Like, I'd rather just hard pass. What about the 49ers backs? Let's shift to 49ers. What about those running backs? It also kind of looks like a mess. Let's start Jen. Are, 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 are you more interested in them or less interested in them? <laughs> than the Cardinals? Um, I'd say a little more interested. I, I would definitely – I've been taking Trey Sermon when I can, when he's not super expensive. I believe Mostert did uh, – he has some kind of sign of injury. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I saw something real quick earlier today. I don't know if he tweaked something. I don't know if you guys – either of you know um, what it was or if it was anything major. But I think um, he's just always tweaked something. Yeah, I think that's I mean, the way exactly. Mostert is. Yeah. No, I know. And the, it's hard because it's like – if it was any other backfield, we all would be very uninterested. But it's Kyle Shanahan, so we know he's going to jam whoever in whenever. So you know, you kind of have to have a piece of it because one of them is going to break out eventually, or maybe not. But um, I, I would say I've been going more towards Sermon just because he's fresh and young. Uh, he has been climbing, though. I don't know what his ADP is right now, but uh, he's definitely getting a little expensive because people seem to think that he's going to, I- you know. I've seen him going in like the sixth and seventh round lately. It is yeah. crazy how bullish people are getting on Trey Sermon. Yeah, that's a little too rich for me, but uh, I do like the fact that he's at least younger and fresher. And like Brandon said, Mostert always seems to be tweaking something. I mean, Jeff Wilson will be back eventually, right? So, I mean, he's super cheap. You could just grab him in best ball at the end and, and you know think that maybe he'll do what he did last year. I think he's just going by the vulture now. I think that's just his name. Now, <laughs> you could just call him that. I gotcha. No, I, listen, I like Jeff Wilson and I was taking him before he got hurt. Uh, but yeah, I think it's kind of a cluster that I'm not necessarily super into unless Sermon falls. I, I mean, I'm just completely avoiding this in best ball because it, it's so hard to figure out. And what I'll do in redraft is just not draft any of these guys. And then when, you know, it's uh, Jamichael Hasty's week or Wayne Gallman's week, you know, you know how this backfield works out. They, they, they just pull RB1s out of thin air. So I'll wait until, you know, I, I can get Elijah Mitchell or one of those guys off of waivers midseason. I just, uh, you know, I, I get nervous about drafting Raheem Mostert because he's 29 years old now and it seems like that body's starting to break down a little bit. And then Trey Sermon, I don't know if he's ever going to get the keys to the lead job for uh, the majority of the season and where his ADP is going right now you know you're expecting him to be the lead back for like 10 or 12 weeks so I'll, I'll just hope that I can get one of these guys off waivers later in the season but I'm not really too interested in this backfield at their current cost yeah I think we're all probably in agreement there um then okay well, okay so we can become to Kittle now right so his ADP I think he's in the let me look real quick before I even bring this up uh early third Early third. Well, I'm looking specific underdog. Yeah, he's at 27. Uh, so yeah, early third. I mean, Kittle's one of those guys that uh, is phenomenal when he's phenomenal. But as I've been saying, you know, he's he's he plays like a maniac, and uh, he's always at risk to get injured. I mean, they all are, but he's he plays hard, like harder than anybody else, it seems. So, um, are you buying his ADP? Are you just skipping him, Dave? What are you doing? Yeah, he's one of my favorite tight ends to draft. I mean, I, okay. I love getting Darren Waller in the second two. Um, I, I'm actually kind of, I don't want to say fading Travis Kelsey because that just sounds ridiculous. But, um, <laughs> you know, I would much rather get Darren Waller in the second or George Kittle in the third than Travis Kelsey in the first. And that's what I've been doing a lot. Uh, you know, 2019 was the last year that we saw a healthy George Kittle. And he tied Travis Kelsey in points per game. 
Now, I realize that now Brandon Ayuk is there, and, you know, Debo Samuel, he might be healthy for the year, but... Kittle is an absolute dog. He's going to command targets, and he can just score from anywhere on the field. I mean, he's a, a tackle-breaking machine. I think that when it comes to athleticism, he's probably the most athletic tight end in the league. So getting him in the third round, you're getting him on that injury discount. And, you know, like you said, kind of the same thing we talked about to start off the show with Chris Carson. The way that he plays, he is going to injure himself often, and that's what we've seen over the last few years. But he's still relatively young, and getting a guy who has potential to surpass Travis Kelsey in the third round, I'm drafting a lot of George Kittle. Yeah, I mean he's gonna get uh, he's gonna get a lot of targets as long as he's on that field. Uh, I he, you know I believe he would be, he's the number one passing option in that offense. Um, but speaking of those guys, I guess so we've got Brandon Ayuk or. We've got Debo. Um, you mentioned him briefly. Are you going for either of them at ADP? Are you fading one, the other? Um, I prefer yeah. Debo. I, yeah. I do prefer I Debo, too, especially at ADP. Yeah. Um, you know, Brandon Ayuk, I wrote an article last year. Uh, I want to say it was week 14 or week 15 where I said Brandon Ayuk is a wide receiver one for the rest of the year. And he was because George Kittle was hurt, Debo Samuel was hurt, and he was basically taking on the Debo Samuel role where he was getting those shorter passes and he was picking up the yards after the catch. But I fear that, you know, Brandon Ayuk is for all the flashes that we saw last year, there's kind of this polarization right now in the fantasy football community where it's like, was Brandon Ayuk that good where he was able to just separate himself from everybody else on the team? Or was he just a benefactor to injuries to Debo Samuel and George Kittle? And realistically, I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I think that he's a very talented receiver, but this team loves Debo Samuel. And I think that Brandon Ayuk could very well be the third passing option on this offense. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Ayuk is a, is a fourth rounder. I just can't, I can't, it's too hard for me to take him there. I definitely would default and do Debo if, if I'm going to take, you know, 49er at all, uh, pass or receiver wise, I'm definitely, it's funny because I feel like on other pods and most people that I talk to, I feel like I'm the only one that's on the Debo train. So I'm glad to hear that you, uh, you feel the same way because a lot of people are still super bullish on Ayuk. They're all about it. And I'm kind of like, eh, I don't know. Um, what else do we have with the 49ers? Oh, we have a quarterback. We haven't even gone there yet. Uh, are you, when do we, I mean, when do we think we're going to see Lance? Are you buying Lance? I mean, his ADP has been slowly rising, you know, with, with the preseason. Uh, yeah. I mean, do you think, when do we think we're going to see him? How many games uh, do you think we'll get? I think we see him when Jimmy G gets hurt. Um, I All mean, right. realistically, I don't think that Jimmy G is going to lose the job. When you look at it, since he's been in San Francisco, he's 22 and eight. I mean, he has been a very capable quarterback over there. He's not extremely flashy or anything like that, but he wins game, games. You know, he is a field manager. Um, it, it, when you watch him, it's obvious that he played behind Tom Brady for a lot of time. It's mm -hmm. not that he does anything spectacular, but he just manages the game and he does a really good job of winning. The problem is he has played six or fewer games in three of the last four seasons. So, I mean, th there's going to be something in the water in San Francisco. We talk about Debo, Debo Samuel, George Kittle. We talk about all the running backs there, mm -hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo. None of these guys can stay healthy. So, realistically, I think that if Jimmy stays healthy for the entire season, he's going to be able to win 10 to 12 games. And if they're winning at that sort of clip, I don't think they're going to pull the starting job from him. So, I love Trey Lance, but unless Jimmy gets hurt, we might not see him this year. Didn't, like, a bunch of their defense get hurt last year, too? Yeah, they, like, it was like ridiculous. Said, there's, something in the, there's something in the water <laughs> yeah, in San Francisco. I, mean, I don't know like, what's happening there. 
Uh, a nice pairing. I, I've been, if I do get Trey Lance and redraft, I pair him with Tua or I pair him with Baker Mayfield. Guys with like week 13, week 14 bye weeks just to kind of hedge. But I, I'm with Dave here. I think that Garoppolo is probably going to start until he gets hurt because I think they'll win with him and it'll be hard to make that switch. Uh, I'm not going to take up any more of your time, Dave, because I know how busy you are. Uh, Jen, I, I know how busy you are as well. So uh, everyone be sure to follow Dave on Twitter at Dave Kluge. Once again, K-L-U-G-E. Go check out everything he does, including his YouTube channel, Dave Kluge underscore FF with just fantastic interviews. Dave is is really good at interviewing and gets excellent guests. Um, Dave, thank you so much again for joining us today. Do you have any last thoughts or plugs before we go? No, you covered everything. Um, I, I've gotten to the point where I stop plugging stuff. I just tell people to follow me on Twitter and you'll see what I've got going on because there are multiple shows and articles coming out just about every day. Excellent, excellent. Jen, always a pleasure. Any final thoughts before we go? Uh, no, I'm, I'm ready to get started, man. I'm so tired of talking about the, the draft. Like We need to get actual <laughs> matchups and players. It's been a long off season, So I know we still have a couple weeks, but uh, I am ready to get rolling. I'm so ready for football. Listeners, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Two Guys Brandon and at The Monday Mommy. Thanks for listening. Have a good day.